Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to another new episode of Undying Light. I am your host, Pastor Alex, and we are back at it once again with another new episode this week. Uh, it is Tuesday, and uh, it is May, the month of May. And again, I don't know how long uh, these are going to take me to get to uh, completing them all because I've dropped in a few bonus episodes, if you would, on those Tuesdays. We had Chad Bird a handful of weeks back, and I'm working on some other guests. Might be able to squeeze some of them in in between, you know, May 9th, which is today and whenever this episode airs. This would be uh, part eight of our baptismal episode. And this show I wanted to dedicate to a handful of questions that have been given to me. So uh, that is the goal. Um, this episode will be questions, Q&A type thing. Next week or next ep- episode of the baptismal series will be uh, dedicated to kind of just clarifying and, and establishing the Lutheran overall overall view. We've gone through scripture. We've looked at the early church fathers. We've looked at the book of Concord, the uh, large and small catechism. And now we are going to kind of put all of that together and assert what baptism is from the Lutheran perspective, from a confessional Lutheran. And then we will go into the Lord's Supper. And so we will spend a considerable amount of time is there as well. Um, I don't know if we'll make it to nine or ten episodes, but we should at least get three or four or five in there. And we'll look at different aspects, right? We'll look at scriptures. We'll look at uh, the dispute between uh, Zwingli and Luther. We'll look at Book of Concord, small and large catechism, and the Augsburg Confession, things like that. And so we will take our time, our due diligence to work through it. Please be reminded that these are not exhaustive conversations. These these questions and these que- uh, conversations, this discussion can continue and does continue and has continued for 2,000 years. Now, there are just some things that are accepted by the church, especially the uh, early church, and there were a lot of things accepted um, by the Roman Catholics, even though they started to distort some of the information. 
And then as Luther comes in, he tries to reconcile and rectify and fix and correct a lot of the broken pieces. And then once Luther started to establish true, authentic, biblical um, knowledge based upon the readings of the early church fathers and the readings of the scripture, and he, he got opponents outside of the Roman Catholic Church. And these were other reformers who then, uh, you know, through Zwingli would actually become Anabaptist, who Luther will ultimately condemn in his writings and the Lutherans will condemn because of their um, kind of apostrating from Scripture. And so uh, I wanted to take this episode and just kind of help answer some questions that have been given. I put up some question boxes a while back, so uh, I, I, I apologize, if I may, for those who did ask questions and never got an answer. This is that episode, so um, I, I hope to clarify all of them, and then you know I might put another question box out, and if I get new questions, I might do another episode on it, because this is a topic that um, is, is very, is very touchy for a lot. And, and I say that because baptism is, it's either held in such a high esteem that it conveys God's grace and it's viewed as a sacrament, or it is a work of man and it doesn't do anything except demonstrate our obedience to God. There's those, those are the two major camps. There's people who kind of fall in between, but those are the two major camps. And you know, as a Lutheran, we hold to this view that God is do- doing something to us. It is not a work of ourselves. And therefore, we can't prohibit who can come to the fount. And uh, Flame, who's been a guest on this show in the past, uh, just released, at least as I record this episode, just released an episode on baptism. And he goes through the early church fathers. He talks through scripture. He goes through Luther's small catechism, answering, asking and answering the questions. He did a, it was a phenomenal episode, uh, album, phenomenal. I've listened to it on repeat for uh, quite a bit lately, and uh, I really am appreciative of his work in that field. And we will, actually, as I record this, I'm actually trying to work and see if I can't get him back on this uh, show this sometime this summer, because I thought our conversation last June was phenomenal. So... Uh, you know, as we dig into this text, right, and I, as I mentioned, uh, the Lutheran view um, is often mostly segregated from the rest of the Reformation. Now, I've had some conversations with uh, a few, uh, they would probably say they are confessional Presbyterian uh, or confessional reformers. Uh, they hold to the Westminster like diligently and that's fine. You know, I, I think the Westminster's a well-rounded confession. Uh, but again, there's, there's differences between that and the Augsburg confession. And uh, I've had these conversations with this individual and, you know, if you place the sacraments in their hands, they, they think that they have a higher view than the Lutherans. And I, he even told me that. And I said, you know, that, that that's your perspective. That's wonderful and fine. If that's what you think, uh, but what we agree on so much, and and it and then it just becomes a little you know cat fight to say who who holds it in such a higher esteem, and and you're you know you're like two women smacking each other and you know like a TV show it's ridiculous because at the end of the day we both would agree on 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 the sacraments more so than what we would agree with 
you know, somebody from the Calvinist circle or, you know, the non-denominational churches or anything like that. We agree on quite a bit of the, the, the view of the sacraments. And so we believe as a Lutheran that there's such a high level uh, understanding uh, to the sacraments. And, you know, now as I'm kind of working through this, this conversation here in my head, uh, as I'm working through this in my head, and I probably just repeated myself there because uh, my daughter came in the room and grabbed my attention. I want to maybe do an episode that kind of, well, you know what? And I think I will. I think I said this at the beginning of the sacrament series and even the Lutheran theology series. I want to do an episode that, that demonstrates uh, the different views of, of baptism, you know, the non-denominational view where, you know, you get up and you say a speech and then they have a big tub on stage and they dunk you and yada, yada, yada. It's a big celebration. And, um, we'll, we'll talk about that and what our views of that particular method and processes. We'll look at the reformed Calvinistic view. We'll look at, uh, you know, any other nuances, especially like the Anabaptist and things like that. So we'll, we'll do an episode that'll probably dig into that. So that'll put us at 10 episodes. Uh, I think that's well-rounded again, not exhaustive, but I want to take the rest of this time today and I've got a handful of questions and, uh, and we're going to dig into them as we go along. So I do want to say thank you to all. Uh, hopefully you will listen to this episode, uh, who submitted questions on my Instagram page. And if not, then, you know, maybe down the road you will, but uh, I will encourage you to, and I hope that this helps clarify some things. And again, I don't have all the answers. I am but a seminary student, Lutheran pastor, who studies the scriptures vigorously, but I don't have all the answers, and no person does. So don't be fooled by people who say they have the answers. I'm just giving you my perspective in these responses, and I hope that I can clarify uh, some understandings to the these questions. So, first of all, we have to understand you know, going back to the first couple of episodes on baptism, what is baptism? And that is a means by which God uh, conveys his grace to the recipient. And by doing such, he washes them free of their sin. First Peter chapter three, verse 21 tells us that that baptism now saves. Peter also echoes this and makes a further proclamation of it in Acts chapter 2, verse 38 and 39. So when we understand that baptism is a means by which God forgives us of our sins, then this first question helps, uh, gets a bit easier to answer. So this individual asks, and I won't name any names, um, because I, I, I want to, um, you know, keep their, uh, their names anonymous, if you would. So here's this first question. Does baptism ensure the salvation of a baby who dies in infancy? So this, this question is kind of, it, it, it goes up against a lot. And by that, I mean, um, there's, there's a lot of different things. Are we talking infancy, like post birth? Are we talking an abortion? Are we talking all that? In or stillbirth, for instance, or are we talking uh, a child that dies four or five months down the in, you know into their life, or a couple weeks into their life? So, from a Lutheran perspective, here's how we would answer this, um, and and this is how I would uh, train, you know, or this is how something that I would would handle. Uh, once uh, I am given word of a birth, and if there are complications and uncertainties to that, 
then I would quickly make it to the hospital if I could and baptize that child. There's no time frame or, or anything that prohibits us from doing that, you know, immediately after birth. If the child is going, you know, is not guaranteed a long life, then we want to ensure that we baptize them. Why? Because we see that those who are baptized are saved. Now, Mark 16, 16 says those who are baptized and believe will be saved. But we also understand that belief isn't something that we cultivate in ourselves. Faith, which is, the, which is belief, we, are, we put our faith, our belief, our trust into Christ and the promised work of Christ on the cross. And that is a gift given to us by God. And so I'm going to answer that question as we talk about the next question as well. So I'll, we'll kind of teary this into the next one. But faith is given to the child even though they can't demonstrate to the person who, you know, wants fruit to be demonstrated there, you know, the fruit police cannot go to an infant and demand, you know, uh, some sort of biblical or, or, you know, creed statement on their belief. But what, what we do as Lutherans is we would go and baptize that child because we are doing the work that God has commanded us to do. If that child does pass in infancy, then we would, Obviously, uh, hold that child up to and hand hand them over to God and say, God, be merciful to this person, be merciful to this child, and be unfair to them as you've been unfair to everybody else who are believers. And I would say that a child who dies and has been baptized will be saved. I, I can boldly en- enough say that because I believe that my God is far more merciful than we think he is. Because we read it over and over in scripture, the long wavering times that God is patient with his people, long suffering. In fact, what we did, I just recorded the episode on Obadiah, so that aired quite a few weeks ago. But in that, God is long suffering with Edom because he would wish them to come to repentance. And so I think our God is far more merciful than what we want to give him credit for. And I think we want to try and isolate and chop it down and put him into a box and say, well, you know, this passage here tells us that God's going to bring, you know, you, you have to believe or you, I mean, they're going to put stipulations on it. And, and I, fe- I feel like that really um, waters down scripture. So I would boldly enough say that if I go to a hospital and I baptize a child, I would I can confidently say that this child has been given the promise that God will save them. And then I am going to hand them over to God and I want, and I will be praying during the service that God is merciful to that infant as, as, as heartbreaking as it is to lose a child. Uh, it is, you know, where we have to stand And, you know, and I was even thinking about it uh, the other night because one of my recent sermons that I gave, um, I, I talked a little bit about having the right words to say. And I, you know, made the comment of my daughter's birth and, you know, it was a good thing I didn't say some of the things I could have said during uh, the labor portion of that, and that would have probably really made my wife mad. But as I laid in bed before I gave the service, I was gripped with the 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 uh, memory of that ordeal at the hospital and just how traumatic it was for both my wife and I. We could have lost our daughter uh, during that birth because of the hospital's negligence, and. 
I still, I still feel some, some, some distraughtness over it. It still hurts me. And so, you know, every once in a while, my wife and I are reminded of this, just how precious she is to us. I mean, she's just turned four now and we're so blessed that God has given us this child to be parents of. And so, you know, it, it, it breaks my heart. I've seen stillborns and all that. Uh, there are uh, some in the Lutheran service book. There's a service for stillborn or a child who dies during birth. Um, and we, it, but it's not a baptism of the dead like some people have done in some, you know, obscure segments of Christianity. They will uh, go through and actually try to rebaptize the dead person, which is not biblical at all. And, but when the child doesn't even get the chance to, to breathe and they're delivered as a stillborn, there is a ceremony that the Lutherans have that we can go through that process. So the question, next question is this, um, how is that baby or how is infant baptism justified? Well, it's justified because of all of the things that we've talked about on this show. And, uh, it, it, it's because baptism isn't a work of ours. It's because baptism is a means by which God comes to us through the water and the word. And it is a means by which God gives faith. So when you are saved, you are justified. And when you are justified, you are made righteous and standing before God. And uh, I want to read a couple of his lyrics because in uh, the song called Mark Them by Flame, on his recent baptismal episode, he kind of answers this question very well. And uh, he answers, basically, he makes a statement that, um, you know, he knows that it uh, that you think it's impossible. You see an obstacle. How can an infant perceive? How can a baby be making professions of faith when they can't repent and believe? It is because faith is a gift. Assuming we value the Bible, it's God's work. Jesus said, go and make disciples, not our work. By baptizing all the nations, he baptizes. That means no discrimination, all ages. Here's what he didn't say. He didn't say that you had to be from a certain place to get the benefit. He didn't say that you had to be a certain age to get the benefit. What he did do is rebuke the disciples for keeping the children away from him. Matter of fact, he said, become like the children if you want to enter the kingdom of God. Speaking of faith, Babies can definitely have faith. It's all over the Psalm, Psalm 22, Psalm 71. Trusted in God while he's nursing in mom's arm. This, for the skeptics who still need a sign, hit the New Testament and go look at John. Mary visited Elizabeth. She was filled with the Spirit even before he, he was filled with the Spirit even before he was born. And uh, yeah, so I think Flame nails that right out of the gate. And, and I and I and I think we try to be logical and philosophical with how we address baptism. And this comes in from the reform circles that we want to say baptism is a work of us. Even if we hold it to be a sacrament, we want to think, okay, well, I can I can you know, this is something that I do. It's my demonstration, it's my obedience, right? It's my fruit that I'm giving back to God. Well, no, that's not what scripture says. When Christ gives you the command to go into the nation, it's his work. When he tells us to baptize it and then make disciples, that's how you make disciples. We talked about that earlier in this series. It is Jesus who is baptizing. We are just simply vessels in the in-between, if you would. And as a pastor, I am merely conveying the words that God has given 
to the infant who is receiving the grace that God is providing. And that is no different than when I stand in the pulpit and preach a sermon to adults who then will have their faith renewed or strengthened or be given faith if they've never had faith. Again, the question of infant baptism is hotly contested and people like to use this argument, well, there's never been, there's no infants uh, given in scripture to be baptized. Well, yes, but there's not an actual like uh, declared statement, you know, where they have taken an infant, a newborn or, you know, two month old child or whatever and baptize them. There's not any of that in scripture and we understand that. But what we see is the command to baptize is not given as a age restriction applied to it. Jesus didn't tell his disciples, go into the world and make disciples of all those who are of believing age or age of 14, uh, age of 18. You know, you have to be this you know age or you have to be from this part of the world or you have to have this background. Jesus said, go into the world and make disciples by baptizing them. And so you go into the world, and as Peter tells us in Acts chapter 2, this promise is given to you, as he's speaking to the crowd, and your children. When we get to Cornelius, his whole household is baptized. We talked about this. Whole households would include spouse, children, uh, teenagers, servants, slaves. Anybody who serves in the house, lives in the house, would be baptized. And then we have... You know, the, the, the framework that baptism does what it does. And with our understanding, the concept would be given that infants should and ought to be baptized without any sort of law or legalistic placing. Because here's the thing that I would venture to say, if we take a law and we place it on a person say, well, you can't be baptized unless you make a proclamation of faith. Okay. If that's your, if that's your holding to what happens if you have uh, somebody who is mentally handicapped? What if you have somebody who can't speak or write or, or do anything of themselves? Uh, I, I have a child in my, in my um, congregation right now. He's mentally handicapped. And uh, I remember when he was born, the previous pastor would, went to the hospital and baptized him because they didn't know how long he would live. Well, he's survived quite a few years now. Uh, I think he's eight or nine years old now, and uh, his mom brings him to church from time to time, and it, it would break my heart if a person would say, I'm not, I can't baptize that person. You have now just gone against what scripture tells you to do. You have now stood between God and this person and said, I know better than God does, and he can't be baptized. Or you would make the proclamation to say that baptism doesn't really do anything and God will just have mercy on him regardless. Maybe so, but also we should give them the promise of baptism because that's what Christ said in Matthew 28. This is the proclamation. Go into the world, make disciples by baptizing them. Those who are baptized and believe will be saved. Mark 16, 16. Anyway, so I can, I can rant on and on. We'll talk about this a little bit more the following episode, we might have to do a couple episodes on the question. I'm only three in as I get to this next one here. Is actual water needed for baptism or can someone use something like Sprite? Well, great question. Um, water is required. You, I've heard some arguments and, and you can probably get away with it, but water 
was symbolized as a washing away of dirt in that. And so uh, the, the Jews were familiar with the form of baptism, but not in the form of what it does in repentance. Um, Peter makes the declaration that the washing of water is not like the removal of dirt, but it's the removal of sin. And so that's what baptism signifies. And to use any sort of other liquid would, again, be contrary to Scripture. And so I am of the firm belief that it is water and God's Word. Put those together, and you have the sacrament of baptism. It can be cold water. It can be hot water. You can be fully dunked. You can be sprinkled. You can be... Um, you know, poured over it as long as water and God's word is present. That is makes it a uh, a sacrament. This next question is two parts. It says, "Does the Holy Spirit descend on some people when they are baptized?" Thought it was just when they f- believe in the gospel. Well, there's there's two parts to this question. First of all, we see in the baptismal of the baptism of Jesus, the dove, the Holy Spirit that is representative, comes down and and. Uh, is made his presence known. Jesus also tells us later in the gospel of John that he, uh, even though he's going to leave, he is going to send a helper to them. That helper is the Holy spirit. And so it, it can be kind of chalked up to two things in this instance. So baptism isn't the only way to salvation. It is a way to salvation. And we utilize baptism as a means by which God delivers grace. When you baptize an infant, they have never heard the gospel before, more than likely, or you know, have heard it maybe in church if they've attended, if they're a couple months old. Uh, I think we baptized our son at eight weeks, so he had been at church for, I don't know, four or five weeks prior to his baptism. Um, I don't think we took him out the first four weeks. But anyways, um, what we would say is that at the point of baptism, faith is given. And once the person starts to demonstrate the faith, the things of faith, like my daughter, who's now four can recite the Lord's prayer when she does those things. And when she's talking about Jesus and when she's talking about the Bible, the Holy spirit is working in and through her and the Holy spirit is giving her the words to say, I mean, my daughter has known the Lord's prayer for over a year now. And I think that's amazing. It's an amazing quality for a three, four-year-old child to have. So the question is, it's kind of yes and no, because at baptism, and again, you can get into some nuances to where does the Holy Spirit constantly reside in the believer? Yes and no, um, because you have to understand that there is still the struggle of the old self, the old Adam. We're still sinner, and yet we are justified in the same breath. And so... Does the Holy Spirit reside in us constantly? Yes and no, because we have to understand where that faith battle comes into play. The, the, we have the newness and the righteousness in Christ. That's where we have the Holy Spirit. But no, in the, in the fact that Adam is still fighting for our attention. And, you know, if you're an adult and you've never heard the gospel before and you're, you're preached to the gospel shared to you and you become a believer, then um, you would be given the gift of the Holy Spirit, and then you, I would hope, as the next step, would go be get, or would go get baptized. That would be what I would recommend. Next question: I know baptism forgives sins and is a means of grace, but how do you arrive at baptismal regeneration? All right, so this is an interesting question. Again, I'm not one 
that necessarily cares too highly for this term. I think it's been uh, kind of given a negative connotation uh, in in the last few hundred years. But when we understand what does regeneration do, it is the the act of being made new, right? Regenerate takes from the old self into the new self. And I think we, this again, this is where the I think the nuances become troubling because some people would say, well, baptism can't possibly do that. Well, again, why not? Why can't God use a means to convey grace to us? If the forgiveness of sins is equating to salvation and salvation is equating to justification, then when we are justified, we are regenerated. And there, and this is where the Lutherans would dispute the order of salvation that the Calvinist and Reformed circles would hold to. We don't believe, you know, in that finite structure. We see that Paul gives us a, a formula, if you would, in, in Romans, but that is not a, a, a cascading all definitive, this happens every single time no matter what. And I think Paul's just reiterating just the tenets of, okay, here's what happens, do, do, do. Not a use this formula and apply it to every single person who has ever lived all the time, ever, no matter what. I don't think that's what Paul's conveying in that text. And so the, the concept of baptismal regeneration, uh, again, for me, I, I'm not, I don't care too much for the word, but what I like to look at is the t- uh, what baptism does is it saves you. If, sa- if being saved means your sins are forgiven, if that means, then that means you are justified and that means you are regenerated, you are made new. The new righteousness of Christ has been given and applied to you. So that's how I would arrive at that. Uh, last question we'll take on, I think, and I got another set. So we might do, I don't know, I, I don't want to keep going um, on and on. Maybe there's only a couple here in this next page, but let's look at this one. What is the biggest difficulty evangelicals face in understanding Lutheran baptism? Fantastic question. I think um, the biggest thing between evangelicals, and we're going to say non-denominational or you know, big, the big churches, if you would, they have such a low view of the sacraments and I, I was a part of a bigger church in Illinois and the pastor was really, um, really, really solid. I, I really respect him. I still respect him. And I think they had a pretty good view of the sacraments, baptism and the Lord's supper. But I think kind of it's from a, a standing point, the evangelical church is, is more either has a lesser view of the sacraments or they, uh, would try and downplay their importance. They would say that baptism is important. You should be baptized, but you don't have to be, or you could be baptized again, which again goes against scripture. Um, they would, you know, they, they just, there's not a clean, concise creed or confession that they would adhere to that would demonstrate, you know, entirety, entirely what they believe. The big churches, the evangelical churches, um, they come from, many different mixes of flavors, right? And you've got uh, different views and beliefs. And if you go to, you know, just Google search evangelical churches across the U.S., you'll and you look at their, their confession or their statement of faith on their websites, you will find that they all differ from one to the next. They might say some of the very similar things, but they will not all be in unison. And so I think 
from the Lutheran perspective, again, not to say that Lutherans are perfect in this scope because we have issues like the ELCA and we have different senates like the Wisconsin Senate, the Missouri Senate. I'm in the LCMC, Lutheran, Lutheran Churches on Mission for Christ. And, you know, and then there's many more. When we have these, dis, you know, these differences, we as Lutherans turn back to the expert confession. That's it. That's the book of Concord is like our thing. When you have an evangelical church, it can go many different ways. It can go to the Westminster and go to the Heidenberg and go to the 1689. Um, in, in any other confession, there's many more confessions out there. So they can go to any other confession or they don't even go to a confession. They just say what they think they believe, whatever the pastor, whatever the founding pastor believes, that's what they believe. And so I think there's not um, from and, and I'm just using evangelical. Uh, churches as a, by and large in this, in this kind of uh, answer here, I'm not going into the Baptist or Presbyterian circles or Methodist circles, but the big non-denominational churches are generally driven by the beliefs of the pastor and not by uh, what a con- creed or a confession state. So there's a, that's where I think the biggest discrepancy would come from evangelicals trying to learn the Lutheran faith is that they have been essentially given such a watered down version of the sacraments for so long that it, it's like mind blowing when they see a church that holds the sacraments to such a high view. Next question. I'm going to, you know, we'll see. Like I said, we'll just breeze through these. Is baptism only valid if it's immersion? No, uh, it's not. It's valid as long as water and God's word are applied to each of them, uh, to the person. If you have water sprinkled, poured on, um, or, or you fully dunk a person that is baptism. As long as God's word is present, then it's good. Um, what biblical texts suggest that faith is imparted in baptism? We've already hammered this one out pretty hard. Acts 2, uh, 38, 39, Mark 16. Um, there's writings from Paul and Romans and Colossians and Galatians. There's, uh, first Peter chapter three, uh, Matthew 28, all of them that talk about baptism give us a demonstration that faith is given through that. What is the purpose of baptism for the Jews in the time of John the Baptist? Now, this is an interesting question, and this might take me um, a little bit more to answer it. And uh, I, I, I honestly, as I you know, didn't review the questions ahead of time, I don't have a good answer for you on this question. And so I'm going to probably parking lot this question itself and I will try to get to it on my next episode because I don't want to provide a disservice and provide the wrong answer all right two more questions here do we dip or dunk babies well when I do a a, a, a infant baptism I will generally either hold the baby or have somebody else hold the baby and then I will uh, sometimes either pour the water over or I'll you cup the water in my hands and and run it over their forehead um, so I mean, usually it's kind of a little bit of both. I don't do the whole like Eastern Orthodox where I swoop the baby through the baptismal font. Uh, I think that's a little bit, you know, more of a circus performance. So for me, it would just be that, uh, you know, I'm cupping the water or I'm pouring it over. Should baptism be immediate after salvation? Well, this is an interesting question because yes and no, and, and, and yes, um, we have to determine where salvation happens. And we have to understand that, is this an adult or is it a child? And if you are an adult, again, going back to some of the earlier questions, if you're an adult and you become a new believer, then you should go get baptized as soon as possible. 
If you are uh, a parent and you're a Christian already, you're married to a Christian, you both are you know lifelong Christians, and you have a baby, you should baptize that baby to initiate them into the Christian faith, and then you catechize that child as they grow older. That is the responsibilities of parents. So that's how I'd answer that question, yes, yes, and no, because no means we don't know where they, you know, where they were in their life, but baptism should always be the focal point of the Christian. So they should always be baptized. And so the no would be mostly focused on like infant baptism, right? Because I'm going to baptize my children and then I will raise them up and teach them the ways of God. So that's going to wrap up our Q and a episode. Uh, I do again, want to work through um, kind of an overarching that will conclude the baptismal set with the kind of uh, concluding thoughts on the Lutheran baptism. But next week we're going to dig into uh, some of the elements of other worship services and other worship forms surrounding baptism. And we will unpack those and see, do they line up or are they fully truthful to all of that, what scripture teaches? So those are some of the things that we will take on and uh, we will unpack next week. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in. I hope you guys have a wonderful week and I will see you all next time on Undying Light. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.